is that uh, today I want to start out with a couple of prayer requests as we typically do. Um, the couple of requests I know from the church body. Uh, I know Miss Joyce Shepherd is on our prayer list. Uh, Miss Joyce, um, she has. Uh, I know that Johnny is she. She's gone. She's is she in hospice care now? Okay, so. Um, be praying for them. Uh, I know that that's a difficult situation. So um, just be in prayer as Miss Joyce is um, is going through that season and this uh, this part of her life. Um, are there any other prayer requests on um, here from from the church? Be in prayer, if you will, for my grandparents. Uh, I left work a little early yesterday to go um, to their house. They had a fire on their property, and it uh, destroyed their barn um, and a, a little section of the house uh, as well, but no one was injured. Uh, it was uh, the Lord spared um, the people, but uh, there is nothing left of 40 years of barn farm life. And so there is a, um, my grandfather, uh, as I was there sitting with him yesterday, as we were sitting on the back porch looking at this uh, just there were there were nine fire trucks. There were forty firefighters. It was a massive thing. It was on the news. It was all over um, in the halls area, and they uh, just uh, did not uh, didn't didn't know don't still don't know what started it or what how it happened. But he was uh, taking a nap in the house, and uh, my grandmother was out grocery shopping, and so um, I got a call from my grandmother, and she was she was freaking out pretty bad, and she said, um, I don't, I, "We've lost it all. We've lost it all." And, uh, by the time I got her calmed down to tell me, it was we've lost everything in the barn. So uh, you know, it's it's okay. Uh, there was, and it was one of those you know nicer barns. Uh, this is one of those barns that I was told um, early on when I got married, every man needs a barn to go. And and you know, so the the secret to a happy marriage is knowing when to go to the barn. Right? That was this was that barn. So um, he has uh, lost his barn. Um, and all of his lawn equipment and all that, but um, again, the Lord spared uh, any any people. So um, it was a, a little bit of a blessing, but also just now it's sad. So it was just a sad thing to see that happen yesterday. But uh, just keep them in your prayers as they walk through this as well. Um, but I know that there are there are other requests on our hearts and things. Um, is there anything in in the church specifically that you want to uh, we want to pray about this morning? Before we jump into our Bible study, anything? Okay, the Hicks family. Did your grandparents find their dog? Uh, they did. Yeah, the, a buddy came home last night about midnight, so they uh, it was a that was a blessing too. The dog took off uh, after the one of the explosions yesterday so That's yeah but he's home so everything's good any other requests this morning let's go ahead and go to the lord in prayer and then we will jump into this wonderful wonderful book of the book of joshua this morning let's go ahead and go to the lord in prayer Heavenly Father, uh, as we gather together here every week, Lord, it, it is a blessing to my heart that we are able to hear from you, that we are able to gather together as the church, 
God, I, I think when you dreamed up the church, uh, this was the type of setting, Lord, that, uh, where your people would gather together under your word, and we would gather together with uh, hearts aligned to pray for one another, to encourage one another, and to hear from your word, and to learn more of you so that we can experience more of you. So, Father, I pray that as we uh, go into this Bible study in just a moment, that our hearts would align even more, and that we would unify even stronger. Lord, as we are gathered together, there are, there are requests on our hearts. Lord, Miss Joyce uh, Shepherd, as she is uh, experiencing this, this season that seems to be the end, um, Lord, we don't know how long this is going to be, we're not sure. Um, we, we don't know the plans, but we know the plan maker. And so we just ask the plan maker um, to give peace and comfort and uh, for your will to be done. Whatever that may be, whatever it looks like, we want to submit to your will and your plan. We do pray for peace and we pray for comfort. Uh, we pray for that also for the Hicks family, Lord, that, are, um, that have lost a loved one as, as they are going through this season. Lord, we don't understand. We don't have all the answers, but we do have the the God of the answers. So Lord, I pray that as we uh, gather in this, Lord, whether it be um, sickness, whether it be a loss of life, whether it be, God, even as my grandparents are walking through, just um, a, a devastating turn in their life and just a disruption, Lord, may we not get distracted by the disruption. May we always uh, be thankful to you. May we be thankful for what you have given us, not the earthly things, but, uh, Father, as I was standing there watching the, the first responders take care of a fire, I also looked around and saw family surrounding my grandparents. And that's a blessing, Lord. Uh, you, you, you've kept us together and you want us to be uh, for one another. And so, God, I pray that in each of these situations, God, whether it be in my family and this ex things that we're experiencing, uh, God, I pray that that connection and family and comfort comes from those people that you've put in uh, around them. And Lord, the, the Hicks family, I pray for that family and that comfort and that connection. Lord, Miss Joyce, as she's where she is, I, I pray for that family and that connection and that hope. And Lord, the more I see, the more I see you working with people. Uh, you, you are the God that the plan A is people. Your plan A is to use people to experience you so that we can show others who you are and we can do that through our lives. So I pray, God, that we would be an example of who you are today and that we would hear from you this morning. Uh, thank you, God, for, for knowing way more than we do and experiencing, helping us to experience you and know you better. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, this morning, we are in the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua. Uh, if you weren't here last week, shame on you. I'm just kidding, Miss Leslie. I know you were sick. Um, if you weren't here last week, we went through the book of Deuteronomy, uh, which closed up the first five books of the Old Testament. And now we jump into the book of Joshua. A few things about the book of Joshua uh, before we go in here. Um, I, I love, first off, I just want to say, I love these Bible studies. These are, these are fun. Uh, they are, uh, as I was telling our staff, as I was telling us last week, uh, they are a little bit of a labor of love. It's, it's kind of hard to do a study like this to prepare this. Um, it's it's uh, 
probably more than a Sunday morning sermon <laughs> of study and reading and, and, and preparing and trying to lay out and figure out what, what the Lord is trying to show us in it. Um, and each week I, I've asked the Lord, I want something that is a kind of my, my hook, right? Or my, my thing that blows my mind a little bit. And every week the Lord has given me that, and He's given me another one this week, and it's so good. I just, I love it, and I'm excited to share it with you. Um, but the book of Joshua, as we are going through this, uh, we're going to move through the first section we're going to spend the majority of our time on, because the last section of the book of Joshua is, um, is informational. And so there's some information in there that's helpful to the people of Israel during this season and this time, for us, and you can dig a little bit in it, and you can look and see uh, what certain things mean and geographically, because what you'll see is we're, we're moving into the land of Canaan now. We are moving into the promised land, right? The book of Deuteronomy left us just on the other side of the Jordan River, uh, in the wilderness, on the side of the Jordan, right before we've crossed over the Jordan. So we haven't crossed over yet, so we're looking at the Jordan and the land that God's promised. So that's where we ended last week. And now um, it says in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. So Joshua doesn't start out on the, the most um, exciting of notes, right? We see that the hero, the leader, the one who led the people of Israel out of Egypt and through the wilderness is now gone. And that leader change happens. The book of Joshua is set very strategically in the Bible. I love love, love how the book of Joshua is set right after the book of Deuteronomy. Now, first off, this is happen, it happens chronologically this way, right? So uh, Moses ends in the book of Deuteronomy, and then Joshua begins in the next book. But the book of Joshua, if you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's some similarities. The book of Joshua is kind of like the book of Acts, okay? So you've got the gospel accounts, and then you've got the transitional book of the book of Acts into uh, the, the pastoral letters and epistles. So Joshua is kind of that book of Acts for us. So typically, now the way you think about the book of Acts is you think of high energy, uh, fast paced, move, 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 right? You think of church doing this, experiencing this, persecution, battles, winning, traveling, going, preaching, planting. You see all these things happening in the book of Acts. If you look in the book of Joshua in this big overview, you see the same thing. You see victory and battle and we, we fight this thing here and we fight this here and we go here and we move here and we're going to take this mountain and we're going to do this. It's a fun book to read in the Old Testament as we look through how it's laid out. Um, the book of, uh, of, of Deuteronomy um, primarily expresses the prospects of what Canaan will be, right? So the book of Deuteronomy is preparing the people of God to experience the promised land. So it's talking about kind of the, the, the precepts or the prospects of what Canaan will be. The book of Joshua talks about the possession of Canaan. So this is how we're going to possess it. Here we go and we are possessing the land that God has given us. Um, the person of Joshua, uh, just to give a little bit of background before we jump in, the person of Joshua, I want you to think about this. I like, whenever I jump into the scripture, I like to go in and um, I believe it was, uh, it, was, it was a great commentary um, a commentator years and years and years ago, lived a long time before I did. He made this statement that he likes to go in and interview the, the characters of the Bible. And his process was, he goes in and he, he's trying to figure out what does he know when he knows it? Because he doesn't know the whole story, right? 
just if you start reading the book of Joshua, what does Joshua know up to this point? Joshua doesn't know how Jericho is going to fall yet. Joshua doesn't know how AI is going to, this small town is going to defeat him, and then he's going to figure out how to, do, how to win. Joshua doesn't know there's sin in the camp. Joshua doesn't, Joshua doesn't know that yet. So what does Joshua know? So you've got to go back and think about where Joshua was from, what he's experienced, and how his, how his life has, has, has looked through the lens of, of what he knows. Joshua was born a slave in Egypt. You ever think about that? Joshua was born a slave. I'll be totally honest with you. As I read through Scripture, I don't think about Joshua as a slave. I don't. I never think of Joshua as the slave boy. I don't think about that. But he was born in Egypt. He was, right? I mean, that's just that's how it had to happen in order for this to go, to go about. So Joshua was born a slave, lived in slavery. All he knew as a kid growing up was what it was like to be a slave. And then as he grows up, as he sees the Exodus as a young man, he sees all of these crazy great things happen. And, and watching that and walking through that, and then he sees a lot of death. You realize he saw an entire generation die off. And that is a, that, I, I will say this, the more I'm around death, the more it changes me. Like it changes my perspective. The more death I see, the more I start to think what matters in life right? The more I think, what, what, does, what truly matters? Because whenever you see these things that, these, these places of death, or these moments of death, or these people that you had respected highly, and that you, you followed, and you said, man, this is a person that I really, and they're gone, it changes the way that you live your life. Joshua saw that throughout his whole life. That's what Joshua experienced up till right now. And then, as soon as his hero dies, and he's seen all this death throughout this entire generation. And then his favorite person, the one that mentored him, the one that poured into him, the one that, uh, that trained him and taught him and taught and everything about him, walked him through everything, had passed away. And now God says to Joshua, now you're ready to lead. I don't know about you, but I, at this point, I'm not ready to lead. I'm, at this point, I'm ready to go die somewhere. That's what I'm ready to do. I'm like, I've, you know what? I've seen too much negativity. I've seen too much sin. I've seen too, much, too many problems. I've seen too many bad things happen. I don't want to do this anymore. Yet, God says, now you are prepared because God prepares the heart. He prepares the mind. He doesn't prepare your body for everything. He prepares your heart first. He prepares your mind because God says, I want to do miraculous things and God will use leaders that are broken. That's what God does. We'll see as we go through the Old Testament, as we look at uh, the book of Nehemiah in a, few, in a few weeks or a couple months from now, when we look at that, that God leads through brokenhearted leaders. That's what he does. God will break your heart for something, and then, then you become all in for it, right? You, you, whenever you're brokenhearted over it. Joshua sees this great leader die before he's able to go and experience the promised land. And God says, I'm going to call you to go into this promised land. So Joshua is this guy. His name means literally uh, Jehovah, the Savior. Um, the word, the name Joshua is in the Greek in the New Testament is the name Yeshua, Yeshua, uh, which is also translated the name Jesus. So Joshua's name, and some people even refer to Jesus as Yeshua Messiah, Jesus Messiah, Joshua God saves the Messiah. 
And so that's where we understand this, this beautiful picture, Jehovah the Savior. That's where Joshua's name comes from. Um, as we jump into this book, I want to do something this morning that I don't typically, I try not to do, but I'm going to give you the bad news first. I'm going to give you the bad news first. And so Joshua made three mistakes throughout his ministry. Three pretty major mistakes that ended up costing something terrible. So before we jump into this, I want you to know about these three mistakes that, that happened. The first thing he failed to do was take possession of the coastline of Canaan. Now, what that means to us, if you look at it, the coastline of Canaan, the way the, way that the coast was, uh, was, was settled, was typically was, was led by two groups, the Philistines and the Phoenicians. Okay, so the Philistines and the Phoenicians, you may know of that group because of the Philistines, they didn't even get, they didn't get dealt with truly until King David, which is later, which we'll talk about that in another week. But the Philistines, there was, there was five cities specifically that the Philistines ruled. Joshua did not go and deal with them because he was, he was afraid of them. Honestly, he was, you know, Joshua in the first several chapters, it's be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Partly because Joshua needed to hear, be strong and courageous, right? He was this guy that was over and over and over again. Yeah, some of you listened to the podcast the other day, and you know it was seven times specifically. <laughs> and there's a reason for that. Man, it's so good. I'd love to dive in. But as we look at this, Joshua did not deal with the Philistine cities. He also didn't deal with the, the Phoenician cities, um, which caused some pretty big issues. Uh, the, the Phoenicians, in fact, didn't get dealt with until the Babylonian captivity way later. Now, we're not going to jump into a big history lesson, but just know that that was a mistake he made. Um, the two people, those two people groups, the Philistines and the Phoenicians, here's the spiritual implications. Okay, so I gave you the historical piece. Here's the spiritual implication of that. Because of the Philistines and because of the Phoenicians, the Israelites could never find rest. They were never at peace because of those two people. God says, I want you to enter into my Canaan rest. I want you to enter into the promised land rest. God has always been about his people finding their peace and their rest. And because Joshua failed to deal with these two people, the Israelites never found rest in the place God had given them. So that's an important thing to know. That's the spiritual peace. The next thing he did wrong was he signed a treaty with the Gibeonites. Um, this was a big failure as well. He was deceived by them. We'll see that in just a minute. And as he's deceived by them, the problem with that was he didn't listen to the Lord in that moment. So he signed this treaty and it almost completely annihilated the tribe of Benjamin. Like there was, a, there was one instance that rose up that because of that treaty that he signed almost completely annihilated a part of God's population. So that was an issue. Uh, the third thing that Joshua did, do, that did wrong was he did not follow through with the one command of God that God says, I want you to go in and completely wipe out the Canaanites. That's what I want you to do. Joshua did not do that. He made some compromises, and because of that, um, and here's what happens. So here's what Joshua did. Whenever he goes in, he, he's a, a grace-filled guy, right? Now, we can say it's because he loves people too much, or we can say it was because he was weak and not brave, right? God says, be strong and courageous. This is what I've told you to do, and go wipe out these people. Why did God say that? Because he's holy, and God didn't want 
compromise to come into God's people. So what happened? As soon as Joshua did not wipe out everybody, all of those false gods began to leak right into God's people. So then God's people began to worship things that weren't God. Bottom line. So Joshua had these three issues. He didn't, didn't take the coastline, which allowed them to not find rest. He signed a treaty with a deceiver, and when he did that, it almost took out an entire tribe. And then he, did not, uh, he didn't wipe out the whole, piece, the whole Canaanite uh, people, and because of that, uh, it brought in false worship. So that's kind of the, the background before we jump into Joshua. Now, Joshua is broken up into three major sections. The first five chapters is all about claiming the land. I love, love, love the first five chapters of the book of Joshua. It's all about claiming. It is going in and claiming what God has given you. Um, We see very clear instructions. In that first chapter, it is very clear. Moses is dead. It's time to lead. Let's go. That was it. It's this is this is true. This is true. And this is true. And God's very clear in it. He says, here we go. Let's go make this happen. Joshua, in the first chapter, receives a fresh word from God. That is, a, that is important for us to know today. Okay, So anytime there is a transition in God's, in God's timeline, in God's work, in God's plan, anytime there's a transition, there must be a fresh word from God before there's a move. Must be. You, cannot, you, you can't come in on old mercies, right? You can't start today on, on yesterday's blessings, on yesterday's mercies, on yesterday's things, because God's brand new every day. He has a fresh encounter ready for us. One of the things that happens in the church world, and today, I'm talking about today, there's a brilliant study this church knows very well called Experiencing God, right? Henry Blackaby's study, Experiencing God. I love Experiencing God. I grew up on Experiencing God. I remember when I was here, I went through the Bible study like four times. I don't even know. I was here like seven years. Went through it four times a year, it felt like. We went through Experiencing God over and over and over again. People don't know there was a second study that came out by Henry Blackaby called Fresh Encounter. And that Fresh Encounter is what we're talking about today. It is, yes, we, we and you can literally see it in the Old Testament, right? The book of uh, uh, the, the Experiencing God was a lot about Exodus, right? You remember God speaks and Moses burning bush? I mean, like, I think the cover of that book is like a burning bush, if I remember right. That's experiencing God. But you've got to have a fresh encounter to go into the land God promised you. So here we experience God to get us out of where we were of Egypt and get Egypt out of us. And then we need a fresh encounter to go into his Canaan rest. That's what we need. So So Joshua, in this very first chapter, we see a fresh encounter with God that he hears a new word. He hears a word that God has given him. It's important for us to know because today, here's what I begged the Lord for. When I I first uh, um, listened and obeyed God and came here as the pastor, I began to beg God, God, we need a fresh encounter. We need a fresh encounter. Because the days at New Providence, as I said even on Easter, this cross has been up for 20 Easter's. 20 Easter's this cross has been in the parking lot. That's awesome. That's super cool. It's amazing to hear and see that. And what happens is we look back and we see this church has been awesome. Like it has been awesome. Like it has produced incredible leaders, incredible missionaries, uh, we, we, given money. Uh, like it's been wild to see the awesome work of God at this church. But here's what we do. We tend to, as a people, and I'm not saying us just right here in this room, I'm saying people, humanity. We tend to say, look at what all God's done, let's keep doing it. 
And God's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm trying to enter you into a new season of Canaan rest, which is greater than the wilderness, I promise. You thought manna was good, and it's like, well, actually, the last generation didn't like manna. <laughs> it, was, it was rough. But you look back and you say, but look what was provided for us. And God says, now I'm going to show you something that you didn't even, you, you didn't plant the trees that you're about to eat from. Like, this is going to be really good. You're going to enjoy this. You got to have a fresh encounter to get you there. So that first chapter, we see this wonderful fresh word from God. Just like when Moses got a fresh word from God, Joshua gets this fresh word from God. Then we see in the second chapter, as it continues on, uh, he sends in the spies into the land. Now, this is a different season than the first group of spies that went into the land, right? We remember back whenever the first group went in, uh, Joshua was a part of that first group. Joshua's picking this group. Do you think he sent, how do you think he chose the spies to go in this time? You know, you got to think, so Joshua and Caleb were the two spies from before that went into the land. You know, there were 12 of them. They came out, Joshua and Caleb were like, let's go. We're going to take, take this land. It's going to be awesome. The rest of the guys, they took a vote, voted against God's will. Then they, you know, we, they should have done the whole cleansing process before they voted. I, I, you know, I think as they're around the tabernacle, should have done the right thing. Joshua and Caleb were the guys that were bold and passionate and courageous at that point. Forty years pass now. Joshua picks a new group of spies. I bet, the, I bet the, the vetting process, I bet the vetting process was intense. You know what I'm saying? I bet Joshua was like, okay, I need to pick, five, I need to pick a few guys that are, that are guys that are ready to go. Guys that I trust their walk. Guys that we want to send in that are going to have the right answer this time. We're not going to be labeled by the disobedience of the last generation. We want to be obedient. So he sends the spies in. We know the story of Rahab. Rahab brings them into her home. She speaks into them. She, they, they experience God in a great way, and they say, it's time to go and take our land. It's time to go and do this. Great experience with the spies in that word. Uh, they hear the word from the Lord. Awesome thing that happens. Then the next chapter gives us a beautiful, beautiful piece of what happens. After God speaks, and after we receive a fresh word from God... It always experiences, we always walk through that and make a move. It always requires us to adjust, right? We go back to our experience in God days in this. When God speaks, we've got to adjust what we're doing because God's not going to tell us, hey, you're doing great, keep it up. God's going to say, hey, it's time to grow a little more, time to go a little deeper. So we've got to make an adjustment to obey to God's will. So here's what happens in Joshua chapter 2 when Rahab and the, the, uh, is there with the spies. The, the whole thing is working out. A word from the Lord comes, and it's time for the people of Israel to move. So they say it's time to obey and move and do what God says to do. So then chapter number 3, uh, the Israelites, it, this is the, the moment where they cross through the Jordan. Now, I think a couple of weeks ago, I preached a sermon and I talked about what the Jordan River was. I cannot remember if that was on a Wednesday morning or a Sunday morning. I can't remember now. But as I, as I think about it, I'm going to reiterate it. So the Jordan River was known, is known as the River of Death. Because it comes from the beautiful uh, heights of the mountain uh, Hermon, the mountainscapes. And it flows down and it, it goes down. It's a real narrow river. And it goes down into the Dead Sea. And there's no outlet in the Dead Sea. So here's what the River Jordan does. It just, it flows down into death and then just evaporates. In the Dead Sea, it just, the Dead Sea has no outlet. 
Nothing living in the Dead Sea, nothing can live. So the River Jordan is known as the River of Death. So here's what happens now. God speaks, a fresh encounter happens. The people of God have come out of the wilderness, and God says, it's time to go and enter the Canaan rest that I have for you. So the people of Israel cross over the Jordan River. God takes the the Ark of the Covenant. He takes it up with the priest, and they stop the Jordan River. The Jordan River stops flowing. So the river of death stops flowing. Okay, The people of Israel cross over into the promised land. So this is a beautiful scene, right? We see this whole thing happen. So they go from the wilderness, they, are, they go through the river of death, and they come out on the other side, right? So we see this baptism that takes place. It gets even better. The thing I didn't share a couple of weeks ago on Sunday is the next chapter. So we, we, see, we picture this as baptism, right? I mean, I hope we're picturing this as baptism. Like we, we go from, from the death and the, the death of the generations, the death of the wilderness, and, and where the disobedience, we float, we go through the river of death, and we come out on the other side, and we live now in the resurrected life. But here's what happens in the next chapter. The next chapter, we see two ceremonies that take place in chapter 4. Chapter 4 may be right now my most favorite place in all of the Bible, because here's what happens in chapter 4. There's two ceremonies that, are, that Joshua institutes with his people. They take The first ceremony is, they take the rocks from the wilderness, and they put them in the Jordan River, okay? So they, they put them in there, and they basically bury them in there. And then they take, they take 12 rocks from the wilderness, put them in the Jordan River. Then they take 12 stones from the Jordan River, and they take them out and set up a monument on the other side. So here's what just happened. The first ceremony is our old self, we are burying in the, in the, in the river of death. And we're going to take the, from what the, the, the rocks from the river of death, and we're going to resurrect them into the new life. And they're going to set them up. And why do they set them up? Well, in verse number 24, it tells us the reason that they, uh, that they take the river, the, the stones out, and they set them up. It, uh, verse number 24, i got to read this to you. This was just too good to, to pass up. It's uh, chapter 4, verse number 24. My pages are sticking together here. Listen to what it says. Uh, I'll go ahead and say verse 23 and 24. Verse 23, it says, For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, and as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up until we passed over. Then verse number 24, So that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Do you know, do you realize why? So they took the, the rocks from the wilderness, buried them in, this, in the river of death. Our old self, the way we used to be, is buried in the river of death. And we're going to take the stones as a testimony from the river of death, and we're going to stack them up right here in Gilgal for everyone to see. And the reason is so that the world may know God is, is we te- we're testifying to his goodness and his might and his strength. It is literally the example. It's a testimony. It's the outward expression of what happened within them. It's the outward expression of what God did within their life. 
So we, just like we baptized this Sunday, we're baptizing this Sunday. I cannot wait. I'm so excited. I'm pumped up. It's going to be, you, you've never seen baptism like this. I'm going to be floating. It's going to be great. And we're going to, we're going to baptize and show this is, and baptism is the testimony, right? It's the, it shows the world what happened on the inside. Chapter four is the testimony of what's happened within Israel as they are entering into resurrected life. That's where we're going. That's where we're headed. And they set up this, this monument. And what happens after this monument hap- takes place, after they set this up, chapter number five is a difficult chapter. Chapter five is tough. Man, I, okay, so hang on, Anthony. This is supposed to be all good after this, right? Resurrected life sounds like a free life where we just get to run and do whatever we want. No, chapter five, they circumcise the generation. Now, I don't have to explain to this, this group in here what circumcision is, but this is not a fun procedure for a 40-year-old guy to go through, right? This is not something that you want to experience um, after the fact. But here's what God is saying to us. As I told you, there's, there's historical things that are going on, and there's spiritual implications. Historically, the people of Israel took the stones from the wilderness, put them in the River Jordan, took the River Jordan stones, put them out to show the world. Here's what happens spiritually. We see the spiritual thing that happens. So why in chapter 5 is it going into circumcision? Because the Lord knows we have three primary battles as a believer. As a person that is living a resurrected life, okay? So I hope you're, I hope you're following me here. In my head, it makes sense. As a, as a believer who has gone through and now lived in resurrection life, we have three primary battles in our, in our life. The first battle is the world. The second battle is the flesh. The third battle is the devil himself, the enemy. So what does the world try to do? It tries to conform us, right? The world tries to change us into itself. The flesh tries to defile us. It tries to take us and break us by, by making us dirty, by making us defiled and not pure and holy. What does the devil do? He is trying to deceive us and trying to allow us to listen to any influence that isn't God. So he's trying to deceive us. So if the, if the flesh is trying to defile us, the first thing that happens to a resurrected believer is God says, you got to deal with your flesh now. you got to deal with your flesh. We got you out of the world. We, we took you out of the world by bringing you up out of Egypt, right? That's what the, and, and working you through. The law gets the world out of you. That's what it does. But you got to deal with the flesh. Now, this is a physical dealing with the flesh. What, what had happened is the generation had forgotten the Abrahamic co- covenant, that this was, this was something, God didn't forget it, by the way. God doesn't forget what he says. We do, the people, of, the people of Israel forgot. They forgot that God said, here's my covenant. This is proof of my covenant to, your, to my people. And the people of God were like, eh, that, that's an old way of doing things. That's how they did it before. That doesn't really apply to us today. But God had not given a fresh covenant yet. So because God hadn't given a fresh covenant, we've got to listen to the laws that God gave us. Until God gives us a fresh new encounter with a new word, we've got to follow the old word that he gave us because that's what he, he doesn't forget it. We do, he doesn't. So he tells us, these people, it's time to go and deal with this. A whole generation had forsaken his truth, and so now it's time to deal with that truth. So uh, after this takes place, after this, uh, this new dealing with the flesh, and you've got to think, Here's, here's the other part of this that's just kind of crazy to me. God is about to send these men off into battle. 
you don't want to go through this surgery and then go fight somebody. You know what I'm saying? Like you're not strong after this surgery happens. After this procedure takes place, you are not a strong man to go and fight and swing a sword. But here's what God is trying to tell his people. You deal with your flesh, I'll fight your battles for you. You deal with your flesh, I'll, you don't even need to swing a sword. I will take care of you. And we say, well, how does he prove that? Well, they, they, they then take place, they take a... Um, they follow through with the ceremony of the Passover right after this scene takes place, which again is another reminder this is all about God. He's the one that rescues us. You know, the Passover, Israel didn't do anything except for trust that the blood of the Lamb was going to cover them, right? That's what, that's what the Passover was. God sent the death angel over. All Israel had to do is say, I believe the blood of the Lamb is going to save me. That's what Israel said. So now, after they've dealt with the flesh, they were reminded of the Passover, and then what happens? Jericho takes place. Right before Jericho takes place, the very end of chapter 5 is, is amazing because Joshua meets Jesus. He meets the commander of the Lord's army. I believe this is the, the pre-incarnate Christ. I believe this is Christ. Uh, uh, one of the moments in the Old Testament where he shows up, because we know the word was from the beginning, right? You know that. Jesus was there all the time. Jesus didn't show up on Christmas morning, okay? He's been there uh, the whole time. And so Joshua sees that this commander of the Lord's army, Joshua says, oh no, are you for me or against me? And he's like, oh, listen, I'm here to take over. I'm not here. I'm not picking sides. I am, I, I'm the side that you want to pick. So jo Joshua experiences this, sees this commander of the Lord's army. So after the people of God dealt with their flesh, experienced, reminded of Passover, this is all about the Lord, Jericho takes place. Do you know how many times they had to swing a sword in Jericho? Oh, they didn't. They just, they, they, walk, they walk around and just worship. That was it. You know what? They'd all just had surgery. <laughs> they, thank the Lord they, it wasn't required for them to, to figure out their battle plan and experience some kind of great heroic like conquest of, of great bow and arrows and, and, and swords, God says, I want you to, to trust me here. And as you trust me, Jericho's a big fortified city. We know the story of Jericho. It's fun. It's awesome. Uh, you know, I'll probably preach it soon because it's just a great, it's a great chapter. Chapter 6 is a great chapter. But as we see, there's a major win that happens in the battle of Jericho. Then what happens next? Oh man, here's where we fail again. In chapter 7, Joshua and his people go up to this small little city of Ai. And as he goes into this small little city, here's what they say about this city. Ah, this is a small little town. It's a little city. We got this. No problem. We just, we just defeated Jericho. <laughs> we didn't defeat Jericho. God defeated Jericho. Don't forget it, right? What happens in people... This is, this is where we've gone from the, uh, the, the, the world, we've gotten out of the world, right? We've dealt with the world, we've dealt with our flesh. Now what's happened? The enemy has come in and deceived us. That's what just happened. Because once Jericho is defeated, the people start saying, we just defeated Jericho. That's a deception. We didn't defeat, God defeated Jericho. You walked around and tooted some horns. Like, that's what you did. Like, so you, you, you made some noise, and God made the, the city collapse. Don't think that you did that. That was all God. But what happened is now we've got to deal with the enemy and the deception that the enemy puts in us. So what happened? This great little bitty tiny city of Ai defeats the Israelites. 
defeats them. Like, that's what happens. And then they have to deal with this. They have to figure this out. If Joshua would have gone to the Lord before he went into this next battle and said, God, what do we need to do? Here's what God would have said. You've got some sin in your camp. You've got some sin in your camp. You've got a guy in there named Achan who is, um, who's stealing. And because he's defiled, this whole, this, this whole nation is in trouble. I'm not, I'm not going to deliver you until you deal with this. That sin of Achan had to be confessed and dealt with. In fact, I wrote down what had to happen uh, with, with the, the sin. Until that sin was exposed, confessed, judged, and put away, there would be no further progress. None. There'd be no further, further progress. Because all of God's battles are spiritual, not, not natural. All of them. Every single time God goes to battle for us, it's a spiritual thing. Achan dealt with a sin because the people of Israel didn't check back in with God. They saw a small city and they said, oh, Jericho was a breeze for us. Of course it was a breeze. God fought it, not you. It's like, yeah, we defeated them. It was awesome. We took care of that. No big deal. Here we go. Oh, this little town of Ai, we got this. And then Ai just demolishes them. It's awesome. After they deal with their, with their sin, chapter 8, uh, God says, now I'll deliver Ai to you. Now, I will tell just, like, how much does Israel have to hear, hey, you didn't do this? Like, this, this feels like a slap in the face in my mind, where AI is this little bitty town, humiliates you, and then you go in and God's like, now I'll take care of you again. Now that you've cleaned up, now that you've got your sins dealt with. So, as we look through that, then AI falls in chapter 8, uh, and just powerful, awesome, incredible story, wild to see how it takes place, how it happens. Um, then chapter 9 is the deception of that Gibeonites, uh, those people that come in and deceive Joshua. Joshua listens to them. Deception, again, that's dealing with the, the enemy. The enemy's trying to deceive us all the time. What happens is, is Joshua and the people of God acted outside of God's word, right? God says, here's what I want you to do. And the people of Israel say, we're going to do what we think is best. What we're going to do is sign a treaty, an agreement with these people. And then when we sign an agreement with these people, we'll be in a better position. And God's like, do you not just remember that that little bitty town beat you up because I said you, I, didn't want to, I wasn't fighting for you this time? Do you not remember that you just walked around a city a few times? It wasn't your stomping. It wasn't because you stomped right. It was because I'm God. And now here, here the people of God decide on their own, here's what we think we need to do. There's a deception that takes place. After the deception that takes place, then we see chapter 10 and 11 as it comes in. We see incredible victories. So God's people have to repent again. Joshua has to go and say, listen, I'm sorry. We've made a mistake here. This was an issue. But in chapter 10, we see some miracles take place. And actually what we see is whenever they go into battle, these crazy miracles, like the sun not moving in the sky, like it just stays up longer. Like that's, that's crazy to me. Okay. Hailstorm defeats the enemy. Like how does the hail fall and not hit the Israelites, but does, it just hits the enemy. How does that happen? Like that's a miracle, crazy, awesome, miraculous thing. I'll, if I'm totally honest with all of you, here's what I would love to see. When I go into battle, I would love to stand there with an enemy in front of me, me with my swords ready to go, and a hailstorm fall, and they fall just on him, and I'm still standing there, and he dies. That would be awesome. 
Like, I'm telling you, I would, my podcast would go nuts, okay, if that happened, because I'd be like, listen, guys, this is the one just happened. Crazy story. Wild. This is insane. It'd be shared all over the place. That's an awesome thing to experience. It's amazing when God does that. It's amazing when God does that, does that. It's also amazing the next battle, God didn't do anything super miraculous, amazing like that. It was just a regular battle. Now, Israel still won because God's favor was on Israel. But here's where we are in, Christi- in our Christian life. We want to see the hailstorm take out our enemy, right? We don't want to actually have to go and deal with him and deal with the battle and fight. And we may still come out and conquer. But in our mind, we're like, oh, God didn't show up then. Yes, he did. He still showed up. He just showed up different. God's too creative to do the same thing twice. I mean, there's one place we saw in the Old Testament, before this in the first five books, where one of the battles took place, the earth just opened up, swallowed everybody. Like, that's cra- That's awesome. Like, that's so cool. We're going to see in a few more books, we're going to see God do some cool things where like a rainstorm comes, chariots are immobilized, and the enemy's just completely frozen there. We're going to see those things happen. Those are amazing and awesome. But we can't get so caught up in the amazing, awesome, weird things that happen and miss the fact that God's still working in the small moments. God's still working in the small things. And that's what Joshua has to remind the people of God. After chapters 10 and 11, these crazy wild battles take place. Some of you are thinking, I I could just imagine, I I love walking through scripture like this and and just touching on a story like that where like the sun doesn't move and everybody's like, wait, is that real? And then they go back and check it and they're like, well, it is in there. What do you know? Uh, It's super fun. With teenagers, I dealt with that for years where they were like, that can't be in the Bible a hailstorm? What? That's not real. It is real. It's so cool. Um, and as, they, as it goes on through chapters 10 and 11, you'll see all these different conquests of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and different areas of Canaan. And then what we see in, uh, fir- in so the first two sections of Joshua, so the first five chapters, we see a lot of the claiming of the land, right? This is where we are going and we are going to claim what God has given us because God has spoken a fresh word. Then we see the chapter 6 through 11 are a lot of the conquering, how the, conquer, how the conquest took place. And then we see uh, chapters 12 through the end of the book are what I consider the colonizing of Canaan. This is where um, I, had, I had shared earlier that the last part of the book is very historical and very just like informational. Because what happens is it begins to tell us, now it is, it is very good for us to know, if you were to see a map, uh, a part of me wants to really jump into some of these things each week and like diagram a map out and show you like where things happen. But uh, it gets, I got a little geeky when I was doing that. Um, I, was, I, and I run this through my wife. I run it by my wife each week. I'm like, hey, should I do this when I tell this Wednesday morning Bible study? And she's like, you're geeking out a lot. And I'm like, I think they'd like it. I don't know. Maybe. Um, so we'll see in the next couple of weeks. I, I got a couple of diagrams I want to bring up and show you. So uh, we'll see if, if I'm too nerdy. But as we, as we jump into these last few chapters, um, what, you'll, what you'll walk through is you'll see how each of the places were colonized by each of the groups, okay? each of the tribes. So that's the way the la- this book sort of wraps up. And it's, it gives us information on which tribes went which directions and where they ended up. Now, it's only important for us to know at, at some point, uh, I mean, it's important for us to know because it's, it's in the Bible. God didn't, God didn't put stuff in here that's not important to know, okay? So just let me just tell you that. Um, so I hope you go back and read some of this. But as these people groups go in and colonize these certain areas of Canaan, what we'll notice is in several years, 
the, the kingdom, they're, they're going to they're gonna end up begging for kings. There's some things that happen later on. We'll get there. Um, but then the tribes will, will shift, and then the kingdom split. And we know, we know why the kingdom split, because of the way they, they settled in Canaan, right? It's important. It's valuable information. But until we get to the point where you'll see uh, how the split happens later on, and then how the, the children of Israel just all of a sudden, they lose a lot. And then now, even today... God still, the land that God promised them, God still is giving them. Like, God will give them that land. That land is coming. God doesn't, he doesn't forget what he says, right? And so we know that the way these, these last few chapters are divided up, uh, it, tells, it tells where each tribe is going to end up landing. And so uh, I encourage you to just go read through those. We'll, and there's, there's resources and helps that will walk you through kind of the way that that, that process happens. Uh, we know in chapter 14, in fact, that's, that's where we find Caleb's famous line, give me my mountain, right? The old, the old guy who says, I, listen, I got, I got enough youth left in me and God's still God. Let me take my mountain. That's the one I wanted, so I'm going to take it, right? That's in chapter 14. Through that, we'll see then how, it, how it's broken up into all these different pieces of property um, for the different tribes. And, and we'll find in the, in the coming books the way that Israel uh, adapts and, and falls away from God and the way they fall away from God, how they, how they colonize. You know, it's kind of like wherever you live, um, the culture affects you, Right? So I, I live in the South. I have a friend that lives out in California, and he and I see things differently, like we just do. And it's not because he's weird and I'm not. I mean, he is, but like it's, the reason is because the people that you're around, the people you grew up around, the, the influences that are around you affect the way that you think about life, right? He deals with certain things politically that I don't even think about, like because it's not where I'm at. It's not here. And so the way where you live changes and affects the way that your your perspective is on life that's the exact same thing happened in canaan whenever these tribes went to these different areas they dealt with different things so because they dealt with different things they ended up adapting and they fell uh, they fell prey to the gods and the things that were there that that the other groups maybe didn't have to deal with and so there's a lot of that that happened that is honestly uh, you know we we look at the bible and we look at the scripture we know this is a holy book. We know this is something that God's writing this great story. It's amazing. It's incredible. But also, like, they were real people that dealt with real cultural issues, and they dealt with real things in those real areas. And so we can't just say, oh, well, the, the, tribe, of, um, uh, the tribe of Levi just dealt with some major issues. Oh, the tribe of Zebulun dealt with some, oh, they were idiots. Like, they just, <laughs> they fell short a lot of places. Well, where, if you see where they went, you see the things that they dealt with where they went. So that's where the, the book of Joshua kind of wraps us up into telling us and giving us a, a, a hint into where they're going to end up being later on throughout the book. Um, and so then what we'll see as the book wraps up in chapter 24, uh, Joshua gives his wonderful, incredible sermon. Uh, this is Joshua, old man. He is about to die in the end of his book. And in the end of this book, he gives his sermon. This is where we know the 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 phrase that may even be hanging on your house. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord, right? This is, this is the Joshua phrase. And I can't help but think, as we've gone through this whole book, we have seen victory after victory after victory. We've seen certain defeats. We've seen certain uh, miraculous, crazy stories of victories. We've seen 
just simple battles that just took a little bit of grit, took a little bit of grind, took a little bit of just fight in the people. And we, we see these incredible movements, these incredible things that started out, I mean, can you imagine him as he's, as he's wrapping up his life and, and giving his last address before the people, thinking, we went through the river of death together. We, we went from the wilderness. Do you guys remember when we were in the wilderness? We had no hope. And God delivered us through death into this promised land of rest, in this resurrected life. If you don't remember, let's go back to Gilgal and let's look at the stones. And then let's look into the river of death and let's think about the, our old self that died. Let's think about the old self that we put in that river. And that now let's look at our new self. And now let's see that we live in a land that is flowing with milk and honey. We live in a land that God has provided for us. Towards the end of uh, this chapter, he talks about, he says, God gave us a land. He put us in a city with, with, uh, with wells. We, we drink from wells we didn't dig. We live in cities we didn't build. We, we eat fruit from trees we didn't plant. Let's not ever forget that God provided that for us. That's what God did for us. Whatever you do. I, listen, and at this point, Joshua is saying to these people, we, we, didn't, we made a mistake by not, by not wiping out the people that God told us to wipe out. So now uh, we've allowed these influences to come in. And so now Joshua says, choose today which God you're going to serve. But remember, I'll take you back to the river of death, and I will show you. Sometimes we need some leader to tell us, let's go back to the day you got saved. You remember how lost you were? <laughs> you don't remember because you, remember, you were lost. You died back then. You were, you were wandering. Not only were you lost, you were lost in the wilderness so bad, you walked in circles for 40 years. Like, you don't even realize how lost you were. You thought, I think this is the right way to go. Yeah, this is definitely the way to go. Then you turn back, you're like, have we seen this rock before? I think so. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, we got water out of that rock once. Okay, yeah, maybe we can get water out of it again. Who knows? You're so confused, you don't even know where you're at. That's how lost you were. You couldn't get to the land God promised you if if it was staring you right in the face because it was right next to you the whole time. You were that lost. And then we died. And then we were resurrected into this new life. So you can choose whoever you want to serve. But as for me and my house, all of those under my influence, we are going to serve the Lord. That's what's going to happen. Because look at the victories he's given us. Do you remember Jericho? Remember, you remember whenever we went into Jericho and we thought, man, this city's just too big for us. And I met that guy standing right before me. Man, he was strong. And I said, Who, you tell me what you're going to do. Whose side are you on? Remember when I met that guy after we had experienced that, that resurrection life? And I met him and I talked to him. And he said, all you got to do is walk around the city. That's all you got to do. Shout. Just, just give a big, loud shout. Clap. Worship. We're going we're gonna to sing. We're going to shout. We're going to blow your horns. It's going to be amazing. And God provided that victory. Then do you guys remember we got a little bit full of ourselves and when we got a little full of ourselves, we lost to that little bitty town that made us look like idiots. We humiliated us. Remember that? Choose this day whom you're going to serve. But I'm telling you, I've seen the, the spiritual markers in my life, and there is nobody to serve but this God. Nobody. And then Joshua dies. And that's where we will pick up next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today I am thankful. 
God, that, um, that you have taken me out of the lost wilderness. I am thankful that you um, buried the old self in that river of death, and from the depths of that river of death, you resurrected new life. Lord, that was before I got to see all the victories. That's before I got to see any victories every day. And Lord, you allowed me to experience the fall of enemies. Lord, I pray that as Joshua was telling his people to continually have a fresh encounter with you and to continually go back to you, if we don't go back to you before we face a battle, we will lose the battle. That's the way it works. Lord, whether it be the principles of the one person in the camp that's, that's out of your will, and Lord, you wanted that sin to be exposed and confessed and dealt with and put away before there would be any more progress into the land of rest. Lord, allow us to know the importance and the value of each of us in your family, each of us in your body of believers. Lord, I believe there's a lot of churches out there that don't see forward progress because there's sin in the camp, because there's sin that's just not been dealt with or not been uh, exposed or not been confessed or not been put away. Lord, and as Joshua's to the end of his life and telling the people, listen, you can, you can follow after these other gods if you want, but I'm, I'm not doing it. I've just seen God's too good. He's too, he's too holy. He's too perfect. His ways are too great for us to follow anything else. So God, let us today follow after you with all our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your word. I pray that we would walk away from here with a new, a new mercy, a new experience of you, a new understanding of how great you are. God, this book, just the more I read this book, the greater you become in my mind. Lord, allow me to never, ever, ever lose that. Allow me to always come to you with a fresh, excited spirit because you are just too good to follow anyone else. Thank you for today. God, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. Come back next week as we jump into our next book, uh, and it will be super fun, exciting. I can't wait. Uh, <laughs> this is good. I like this Bible study. This is good. The next, the next book's going to be a lot of fun. I've done a few runs to the book of Judges. We'll see. We'll see.